Good morning, LAFC. Thank you. Whoever said my name personally, really appreciate that. Uh, I'm the director of middle school ministries here at LAFC, and if you know anything about middle schoolers, you know I got a weird job. I do want to have a quick poll real quick. How many of you have middle schoolers in the house? Raise your hand. Okay, so you will relate with what I'm about to share. I'm convinced that I have like the only job in the whole world that causes me to ask the question, what are you doing? Like, no other job has to ask that more often than middle school ministry. Um, I've walked into countless situations. Not wrong, not sinful, not bad, but it's just like, like why are you smell, smelling this guy's foot? You know, like, what, what's going on here, okay? What are you doing? I actually almost had one of, those, one of those moments in a baptism interview that I was doing with a middle school student. Um, a side note, we're actually having baptism uh, today after second service. So if you're interested in joining us, it's going to be right out there at the baptismal, and we would love to have you participate and see how God is working yeah, amongst our, our flock here. Um, so I was in a baptism interview with this student, and I asked these students a lot of questions. Uh, and one of them is, if you were to die today and you were to stand before Jesus and he were to ask you, why should I let you enter into my kingdom? How would you respond? And so this student thought about it for a few moments and then started by saying, uh, I've, I've, taken, I've taken many showers in my life. And that was one of those like, what? What are you doing? What? First of all, I didn't know middle school boys took showers. <laughs> that was the first one. And the second one is, what does this have to do with you entering the kingdom of heaven? And I'm going to tell you, this brother was absolutely working me, okay? He was setting me up. He said, I have uh, taken many showers in my life. But none of them have truly cleansed me. Only the blood of Jesus can truly cleanse me. And it was just like, poof, little mic drop moment right there. And this is what middle school ministry is like, okay? Why are you sniffing his foot and then the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse us? Like, this is the balance that happens. You never know which one you're going to get. So you might be asking, what does this have to do with Ephesians 6? Um, well, nothing. So we're going to get into it. So ushers are coming by right now. They have Bibles. You can put your hand up if you would like one. You can also follow along in the YouVersion app. Uh, the, the connection that I will be trying to do with this is actually I want to introduce you to that young man. He is an eighth grader, and his name is Asher, and he willingly chose to be able to read the scripture for us this morning. So, Asher, why don't you come on up? If you have any questions on the sermon, I'm going to push you to Asher. He said he'd answer all of them. So, <laughs> it's totally him. Um, All right, so Ephesians 6, hopefully you're there. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 17. Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Why don't you take it away? Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against uh, against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the power of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith, which you can... Extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Awesome. Thank you, dude. So we have been uh, in the series through Ephesians for quite some months now, um, thinking all the way back to the fall. 
Um, what do you remember from this at all? I want to do a quick recap, if you will, of chapters 1, 2, and 3. Uh, the things that have stuck out to me were, uh, in love, he has predestined us and chosen us to be sons. Um, the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance. We have been made alive in Christ Jesus. We were dead, now we've been made alive. We have received um, grace through faith in order that we might be saved. We have become one body. This has been a huge theme of Ephesians. We are unified, Jew and Gentile, together we have peace with God and peace with each other. We've been in the second half of the book then as well, chapters four through six, which has been focused on Christian living. In light of chapters one to three, how do we now respond? With God's work for us, with God's person in us through the Holy Spirit, how do we now respond? We've seen in chapter four, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received. We've also heard two other walks, uh, walk in love as well as walk in light. Paul is coming to the end of his letter here uh, this week, and then the next week will actually be our final uh, week in, in this series. And you can tell if you just look at verse 10. He says, finally. He's finishing off his letter that he has written with a finally. These are these last points that he wants to say to the church at Ephesus. This morning, we are going to hear not a call to walk, but actually a call to stand. To stand firm in the strength and the power that the Lord gives. So this morning, we are going to be covering a lot, a lot on the spiritual realm. We are going to go through the spiritual battle that exists right now. We are going to go through the spiritual enemy that we are waging war against in this battle. We are going to talk about the spiritual reality, the idea that the spiritual realm is very real and very present. Then we're going to talk about the spiritual victory that is in Jesus, and then we will look at the spiritual armor that we are to put on. I want to say in the very beginning um, that I am acknowledging not every single situation that exists is only spiritual. I'm thinking about the idea of mental health as one, one area. Um, yes, there are spiritual components, but sometimes people also just need God-given gift of medic medication to go along with the prayers and intercessions of the saints. Or I'm thinking of the realm of bad things or diseases or sickness that come, up, uh, come upon people. Uh, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that Satan is at work and we must rebuke Satan only. Sometimes God allows the beautiful gift of help received through doctors. So we are gonna focus on the spiritual realm, very much so this morning. But just know, I am not denying the physical as if it doesn't exist. The two worlds are very interconnected. So I'm not denying physical, but I'm gonna focus on the spiritual. So as, as we get into this, I wanna spend a few brief moments in prayer and do some spiritual battling in prayer. Um, I'm going to give you a few moments of silence, and what I would like during this time is for you to humble yourselves before the Lord, to ask his spirit to help you focus and to be present. One of the ways Satan works is through distractions. Ask the Holy Spirit to help focus your mind, and then ask him to speak to you this morning through his word. So I'm going to give you 20, 30 seconds. Do this on your own here, and then I'll close our time in prayer. So humble yourself before the Lord. Lord, we submit ourselves this morning before the great I am, before the triumphant Jesus Christ.
We know that Satan is prowling around. He seeks to snatch the word out as it has been spoken. We ask, guard us against that this morning. Holy Spirit, help our minds focus and be present. Grant us humble hearts to sit under your word and speak to us. Use the sword of your spirit, the very word of God, to penetrate our minds and our hearts. We are all dependent on your spirit, Lord. I am dependent upon your spirit to speak and everyone to listen. We need you, God. So please answer. Be gracious to us. Do not hide your face from us. In your name, your name I pray. Amen. So this morning, I do want you to see and believe and come to the reality that the heavenly realm, the current unseen spiritual realm, is very real and is very present even in our day. So I want to start by looking in our passage at verse 12. Zoom into verse 12 and see what is going on in the spiritual realm here. Verse 12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It starts off by saying our struggle. Uh, Another translation could be wrestling. We have a struggle, a wrestling with. This is the idea of an intense, a close combated wrestling match, like it would be if you think of as the sport, right? And it's happening between two people. And it says our struggle is not against a certain party and it is against another party. Did you pick that out? Who is our struggle and our wrestling against? It says it's not against flesh and blood, meaning it's not against the physical powers that be. It's not against people, namely. It's not against governments, namely. It's not against countries, namely. Which is why later on the spiritual armor isn't physical. He doesn't give us physical armor to wage physical wars. He gives spiritual armor for a spiritual battle. So our struggle and our wrestling is not against the physical realm only, but our struggle is indeed against rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So don't get duped into thinking only this physical world that we see, of which our five senses can take in, is where this battle is happening. There is one in the unseen realm that is waging war currently as we speak. So who specifically are we battling against? Who are we struggling and wrestling against? Like, who who are these spiritual forces of evil? If we look back, actually, at the previous verse, I think it's going to give us some insight. Look at verse 11 with me. It says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Against the devil's schemes. We see a clear enemy, and it is Satan. And when you mix uh, verse 11 and verse 12 together, you begin to see there's a major cosmic battle that is happening between all of these spiritual forces of evil and demons with Satan as their commander, and they are opposed to and against all the forces of good with the sovereign God Yahweh as their commander. There's a struggling and a wrestling that is happening in this realm. So for us to understand our enemy, who is actually Satan? How does he act? I'm going to zoom out of Ephesians for a little bit and look at what the New Testament has to say about Satan specifically. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. Um, Scripture talks a lot about Satan and how he is at work. So just know that this is not exhaustive, but I think they are some of the most important ones. You can follow along on the screen as well. 1 John 3, 
says that Satan is a sinner. He has been sinning from the beginning. John 8, 44, that Satan is a murderer and a liar. And he is indeed the father of lies. Revelation 12, 9, that he is the deceiver who leads the whole world astray. Revelation 12, 10, the very next verse, Satan is the accuser. Ephesians 2, 2, he is the ruler of the kingdom of the air. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he is the God of this age. 1 Peter 5, 8, he is a roaring lion. Matthew 4, 3, he is the tempter. And 1 John 5, 18, he is the evil one. This is not a good resume if you're looking for it. Accuser, deceiver, tempter, evil one. Like this is his essence. This is his nature and his characteristics are bent towards evil and against God. So how does he act then? If this is who he is, how does this stuff play itself out in the world? How does he manifest these things? Well, from Revelation 12.10, we could see that Satan goes before God and seeks to accuse people. Accuse people because of their sin. Remind God of his wrath and judgment that should be upon them. 2 Corinthians 4.4, as we already read, it says he blinds the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel. Satan is blinding the minds of unbelievers in order that they will not receive the gospel and will not see the light that Jesus has brought. 1 Peter 5.8, he's the roaring lion who seeks, uh, who goes around prowling, seeking someone to devour. He is hungry to devour people, to keep them in the dark, those who have been brought to light, to make sure that they have such a difficult time fulfilling their mission. He's prowling like a roaring lion and he wants to devour Matthew 4, in this, the temptations between Satan and Jesus in the wilderness, of which Jesus overcomes. Praise the Lord. Satan is a tempter. He brings doubt. He causes deception to the point where he'll take, he even took the word of God, truth, and begin to twist it as a temptation. He's deceptive in his nature. Also, in that same battle between Satan and Jesus, you see that he seeks the worship and service of people. Jesus, uh, one of the temptations that Satan gave was to say, bow down and worship me. 2 Corinthians 11.4 also says that he masquerades as an angel of light. Just think about the deception in that. Masquerades as an angel of light. He is darkness, yet he makes it appear as if what his intentions were and his actions were light. He takes that which is evil and causes it to appear as if it was good. As I was studying, I, I found a, a, a summary definition that I thought was really good, and I could not say it better myself. It's written by a man named Thomas Sappington, and he wrote an article titled Satan and Demons, and I found it on a website called the Gospel Coalition, of which I would highly recommend as resources for you to be able to check out. It will also be on the screen, so follow along with this summary. It says, Satan is a personal, spiritual being who rebelled against God, and he leads a spiritual kingdom composed of demonic powers who oppose God's purposes through various schemes. And these schemes are designed to keep men and women out of God's kingdom. And these schemes are to render Christians immature and ineffective at reaching the gospel, the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thought that was a really good definition for who Satan is, how he works. So as a whole, Satan is very anti-God and he is very anti-God's people. And he is prowling around, opposing God, waging war on believers and seeking to blind the minds of unbelievers. 
So the spiritual realm exists. There's a spiritual battle happening in this spiritual realm, and we have a spiritual enemy. I want to focus on the spiritual reality now. What does this have to do with us in America, in Lancaster County, in 2022? Because there is a very real realm that exists, and I am afraid that so many of us are not living in the reality of Satan and a spiritual battle that is happening. Now, there are two main ways that Satan often operates, and it depends on cultures and times of how he works. But I would sum it up by saying he works overtly and he works covertly. He works overtly in the sense of very visibly, covertly as the idea of in the shadows and in disguise. So some example of overtly uh, would be demonic possession, literal physical idol worship, and other types of signs and wonders that begin to manifest themselves in the physical realm. Now, if you guys are thinking, I'm sure some of you have had encounters with those things, but I don't think that that is the main way that Satan works in America. I think Satan is most often at work covertly in America, in the shadows, in disguise. And we're going to focus on two ways. There could absolutely be more, but I think these are two very important ones in which Satan is working in America around us covertly. That is through denial and that is through distractions. So let's take denial. One of the ways Satan and his schemes are at work is by creating ways of thinking and philosophies that entirely dismiss the spiritual realm. I mean, think about this from Satan's perspective. What a clever tactic to saturate our American minds and worldviews with materialism, naturalism. Everything is physical, right? To the point where we go, if it's not physical and unseen, it must not exist. By focusing on the physical and the natural, Satan knows that when that worldview takes place, we will dismiss him as non-existent, and if existent, at least not, not relevant, and then the question has to become, who would be waging war against an enemy they don't think exists? Who would be looking out for the schemes of Satan when the physical world is the only one that exists and the spiritual is non-existent? One of the ways that Satan is at work covertly is creating philosophies in America that make us think the spiritual realm doesn't exist. Satan doesn't exist. So then he can do his own thing in the shadows, lurking and working and prowling while we think he doesn't exist. So the first way is through denial, creating ways of thinking that denies the spiritual realm. Second one, I would say, is distractions. And this is where I think the major focus of Satan has been upon American Christians, is through distractions. Now, the question we have to ask is distractions from what? Meaning we need to know our mission first to know what Satan is trying to distract us from. So what is our mission what is the mission as believers in Christ, the church of Jesus Christ? I would say it's threefold, and this is just a summary, but a threefold. To enjoy God, to edify the church, and to evangelize the lost. All for the glory of God. The mission of LEFC and every other church under the banner of Jesus Christ is to enjoy God, edify the church, and evangelize the lost. This is our mission that we've been given, which means Satan and his schemes are seeking to distract us from that mission. So the question then becomes is how does he do it? What do we mean by distractions? 
Here's the picture that popped in when I was preparing for this. I think of the idea of a baby mobile. Now, not like driving mobile, okay? One of those things where the baby's laying on the ground and then the parents will put stuff and hang and dangle items before people to occupy the baby. And I think this is exactly how Satan works with Christian Americans. Dangling a bunch of items and distractions in front of us to preoccupy us from the mission that we've been given. Some of those things that he can dangle and distract us and keep us occupied with is sports. Think about how many hours you might spend watching sports, reading news updates, checking about which team traded who, and then looking at you find your favorite quarterback or your favorite pitcher, and now you got to know what kind of car he's driving and where he lives and what he's wearing. Other people might be playing sports. You spend hours at sports practice. You think about the sport when you're not at practice. You train for the sport. You eat accordingly so that you can perform best in the sport. And it becomes so consuming. Another item I think that Satan can dangle in front of us to preoccupy us would be our jobs. Work becomes all-consuming. And even when we're not at work, we're still thinking about work. We're always pursuing the next promotion, which brings about more hours and, and less capacity for ourselves. Other distractions could be the idea of social media or news. I mean, there's literally an endless wealth of knowledge and information that we could not get to in a lifetime. So we'll spend hours on our phones scrolling through social media, reading news articles, and we begin to find purpose in our posts. So we post, and then we gotta see who's liked our posts. And who's commented on our posts so that we can comment back? And over a while, we begin to spend so much time and energy doing these things. Maybe it's politics as a way to distract. We become so enamored with presidential elections, mask mandates. Who's controlling the Senate? What are those Republicans up to? What are those Democrats up to? And so we watch shows and we read articles. And we become exhausted from all of this. Two more that I think Satan dangles. is just a busy life. Families, I'm thinking specifically, what Satan will want to do to preoccupy you is to make sure that you want to do every single event for your kids. Every community event, everything for sports, everything from school. So that your life becomes so busy, running from place to place, you're exhausted, and you have no time for anything else. The last one I can think of is consumerism. We'll spend hours Googling, researching, decorations for our homes, furnitures, the latest iPhone, the most fashionable clothes, or literally anything else you can picture that can be found on Amazon. We'll spend so much time. Now, I want to say, are any of these things morally wrong? No. Are they sinful? No. But what happens is then they creep through our moral filter because they're not wrong. And they seep in through this filter that we have up and they cause us to be distracted. And when you start adding these up of sports and job and researching for your home, social media, politics, you begin to go, I, I don't have space or energy or capacity to fulfill my mission of enjoying God and edifying the church, and evangelizing the lost. See, they're not necessarily wrong, but when they are keeping us from the mission, it becomes a hindrance and a distraction from Satan. 
We don't have enough mental capacity to be able to study God's word. We don't have enough time to be able to devote an hour in prayer. There's not enough time or energy to fellowship and edify and pour into people because we're exhausted and we need to be filled. There's not enough time to love our neighbors and evangelize the lost because we are so stuck with so many issues and problems that have been consumed, we've been consumed by. So when you look at your calendar, when you look at your finances, the things that you're regularly thinking about, your Google searches, what are the things that are consuming you? What takes up your time? Are you occupied with Satan's mobile of distractions that he is dangling in front of you? Because we have been given a mission, church. We have been given a mission to enjoy God, edify the church, and evangelize the lost. And if this is not your mission, not where you are bent towards in serving our King of kings and Lord of lords, I am afraid you have fallen in to the distractions and schemes of Satan to keep you immature in your faith and to keep you ineffective in reaching a lost world. So be sure Satan is prowling right now and in the spiritual reality, he is seeking for us to deny his existence and be distracted by every other worldly thing that could come our way. So don't be deceived, stick to your mission. Like a good soldier of Jesus Christ, obey your commanding officer and desire for his glory alone because that is what we are called to. So Satan is prowling, Satan is distracting, Satan is waging war, and his forces of evil are powerful. It seems like there's no hope. It seems like Satan is absolutely having his way around us. Church, this is where the gospel comes in. This is where good news comes in. Because God is indeed greater and more powerful. If you noticed in verse 12, there's a little phrase at the very end. It says, the heavenly realms. Did you know that that phrase is actually used five times in the book of Ephesians? This is not the first time the heavenly realms have, have been introduced in the book of Ephesians. It's like a mini sub-theme throughout. And so often we just overlook it and go right past it. So what I want to do is get back into Ephesians and look, where can we have hope in the spiritual realm? Is there hope in the spiritual realm? We're only going to look at two of those five instances in the book of Ephesians, but I do think that we will see that there is hope and there is victory in Jesus. If you look at Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 to 21, it says, That power is the same as the mighty strength of which God exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him where? At his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is invoked. Jesus has defeated these rulers and authorities and powers in the heavenly realm. Colossians 2.15 puts it like this. He has disarmed the powers and authorities and he has made a public spectacle of them by triumphing over them in the cross. The good news and the good hope in a spiritual realm is there is spiritual victory in Jesus. And Jesus has triumphed over sin. Jesus has triumphed over death and he has triumphed over Satan. He made him a public spectacle. He put him to open shame. He condemned them and exposed them for their evil intentions. And he disarmed them of any power. When Satan would come to deceive and accuse before God, through Jesus' work and in his power, he has been disarmed of anything. 
This is good news, church, that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father in the heavenly realms. Jesus is infinitely far above Satan, any demon, and any spiritual force of evil. Jesus' work on the cross was final, it was decisive, and it was a conclusive blow to the kingdom of Satan. That is true power. That is the name of which demons run and flee. That is the name, the only name by which anyone under heaven might be saved. Jesus Christ. Yet it continues on with good news. This isn't just Jesus' victory. He includes us in this victory. If you want to flip the page, Ephesians 2, verse 6. Ephesians 2, verse 6 tells how we're included in it. It says this, And God raised us up, us Christians, with Christ, and seated us Christians with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. For those of us who are Christians, we have been spiritually resurrected and raised up to where Christ is seated right now at the right hand of the Father. We share in his victory. We share in the spiritual victory that Christ has won over the spiritual forces of evil. He is raised to the right hand of the Father in the heavenly realms. We are spiritually, through the Holy Spirit, united with him in the heavenly realms where he is seated and we share victory with him. The fact, I mean, just think about this. The fact that we are, were spiritually dead, this is Ephesians 2, we were spiritually dead and now we have been spiritually made alive, alive is a sure sign of the demise of Satan. Satan's blinding the minds of unbelievers. We have been unblinded. Satan's kingdom has been flourishing in darkness and now the gospel goes forth to prevail in light. This is a sure sign of the demise of Satan. Listen to these distinctions or contrasts. Satan prowls, but Jesus triumphs. Satan deceives, but Jesus delivers. Satan accuses, but Jesus intercedes. Satan is a liar, but Jesus is the truth. Satan blinds, Jesus gives sight. Satan is powerful, but Jesus is greater. Praise his name. Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He has authority over Satan. And Jesus' kingdom will conquer, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will go from now and into eternity, and we will proclaim the victory that Christ has won. So I hope you see there is a spiritual realm and a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual enemy lurking and prowling around us today in this spiritual reality that we have. But know that there is hope in a spiritual victory in Jesus Christ. Which now leads us to our passage this morning in Ephesians 6. Look with me at verse 10. Finally, be strong in who? The Lord and in his mighty power. Now we have a context to understand this power, this resurrection power of Jesus that God exerted when he raised him up from the dead to defeat sin and Satan and death. It doesn't say try on your own. It doesn't say you have the power, you have the weapons. It says, no, be strong in the Lord. For on our own, we will not stand a chance against Satan, but in the victory of Jesus' power, we have weapons and armor to fight and stand firm because Christ has won the battle. He says in verse 13 then, therefore put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. Think about this. What a blessing it is 
that we share in the victory of Christ, and then he gives us armor. I mean, he doesn't leave us exposed and alone and defenseless. He clothes us with armor. What a good gift of God to be in the spiritual battle that he would give us armor. So the command in verse 13 then is put it on. We don't win the victory. We don't make up the armor, but we put it on because he has given it to us. So don't let it sit, don't let the armor of God sit on your shelf of theology and good doctrine. Put it on because there's an enemy prowling right now. Don't wait for a later time period when things are going to get rough and difficult because Satan is prowling now. He is seeking to distract you from your mission right now. And you've been given victory in Jesus in an armor. Put it on. Enter the battle because we can stand firm and have victory in the strength and power of the Lord. So will you put it on? The command is put it on. Will you do that? I actually want to look at the spiritual armor that he has been given. And there's a lot of language in here. And I actually think oftentimes the way we preach these things and read these things, it can get lost as to what the armor is. Because it's not a breastplate. It's not a helmet. It's not a sword. These are descriptors to show the true armor. So as we go through 14, I'm kind of going to skip over the, the physical armor pieces so that you get the weight of what is actually the armor that we've been given. So in 14, stand firm then with truth and with righteousness in place, with the readiness that comes from peace, the gospel of peace. In addition to this, take up faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take salvation and take the spirit working through the word of God. These are our weapons. These are our armor. Truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, and the Spirit. These are the pieces that God has given to us to stand firm against the spiritual forces of evil. We are protected and are, have a foundation of truth. Think about how Scripture talks about truth. Jesus is the way and the truth. God's word is truth. Sanctify us in truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. The blood of Jesus keeps us covered from the accusations of Satan. We have been given peace. We talked about this in Ephesians. Peace with God, peace with one another. So let us be, have our feet ready to proclaim a gospel of peace, to be peacemakers. For blessed are the peacemakers. We've been given faith. Not our own doing, not our own works. I have found actually great comfort in this, in the past week or so, in prepping for spiritual, speaking about the spiritual warfare, I have definitely experienced it. And I found hope with this idea of faith. First Peter talks about this. It says, we have an inheritance undefiled and imperishable waiting for us. And it says, God is guarding us through faith. We are being guarded by faith from these spiritual attacks. He's given us salvation he is, before the foundation of the world, predestined us, chosen us to be in him. He has given us his son. He has given us his spirit that will sanctify us as a down payment, guaranteeing our deposit that we will be glorified one day, worshiping before the throne. Salvation is ours because of Jesus. And then he has given us him, his very self in the Holy Spirit. And he speaks through the word. 
The spirit and the word have been tied too closely together to be inseparable. So just know this morning that the battle was fought by Jesus and the battle was won by Jesus. And now he invites us, he invites you to enter and share in that victory. And he gives us the spiritual armor to do this, to guard us against the devil's schemes. The band is going to be coming out and they're going to be leading us in a song called Great I Am which proclaims the power of Jesus. And in his name, the demons run and flee. So as they are coming out to sing that, would the power of Jesus be fresh upon your mind? Would the victory won of Jesus over the spiritual forces of evil be fresh in your mind? And would you sing along to this song thinking about Jesus as the great I am who is given all authority and all power in heaven and on earth, and the name above every name. Will you think about the power that comes from Jesus' kingdom, which will prevail into eternity and forever? So I'm going to close in prayer, and then the band is going to lead us in singing that song. So pray with me. Lord Jesus, you have won the victory, and all authority is yours. Praise your name that you have disarmed the powers of evil. And that you have given us armor to stand firm against Satan. For we are weak on our own, but you are strong in us. Jesus, receive glory. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you indeed are Lord. To the glory of the Father. We will sing holy, holy, holy. We will sing worthy is the lamb who was slain. Praise your name, Jesus, for the victory that you have won. And thank you for including us in your victory. May we put on the armor of God and stand firm in your strength and in your victory, Jesus. Praise your name. In your name I pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together. We're going to sing of the greatness of our God who wins every battle, causes every demon to flee.
praise Jesus. The great I am. He is the name above every other name. He is the most powerful, sovereign ruler of all, Jesus. And he is the true light already shining. And darkness is beginning to pass away. I hope that you would share in his victory this week for your lives. Share in the victory that has been won by Jesus. And as you live here in America, look out for the devil's schemes. For you have been given the armor of God to stand firm against them. As a good soldier in Jesus Christ, by the power of his spirit, will you stick to your mission of enjoying God, of edifying his church, and evangelizing the lost? I want to remind you again that I mentioned in the beginning, we are having a baptism after second service right here, and we'd love for you to join us. If you would like to pray and engage in the spiritual battle with somebody, we will have people back there in the encounter room who would love to pray with you. So I'll end with this. This week, be strong in the Lord, LAFC. Put on the armor of God, LAFC, and stand firm against the schemes of Satan. For Jesus, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You are dismissed. We hope to see you next Sunday.